0: This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odysseys, the Skate Pod on WEEI. Woo!
2: Welcome in episode 239 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins got an impressive three to two victory over the Dallas Stars in Dallas the of the night, Bridget and Scott opening shifts.
0: Well, I think it was a really interesting game for Mason Lori who we've obviously been pretty focused on as he wraps up his third NHL game. Um, he scores his first goal, which is obviously great. And it was a nice play. He jumps up into the offense, uh, takes a pass from Danton Heinen and snaps a good shot past Jake Ottinger. Then he also ends up getting benched in the third period and only plays one shift over the final like twelve plus minutes. Uh, got caught flat-footed on the rush that ends up leading to the Stars' first goal of the game. And then was on the bench, stayed to the bench for a little bit after that. Got one more shift. Sort of got caught out of position on a rebound chance, led to another Dallas scoring chance. And then that was it for the night. So really interesting sort of highs and lows of, of a rookie with his first goal and first extended benching. Um, so I think it certainly becomes an interesting conversation just about where we think he is, how he's playing, and kind of what, what the all means going forward for him.
1: Yeah, definitely want to get back to that. I feel like the defense is still probably the biggest storyline considering all of the absences that are still there. McAvoy out for one more game. um, And we'll, we'll get an update on Forbert, I assume uh, Scott, but correct me if I'm wrong. We haven't seen anything that suggests he's playing Thursday.
0: Uh, He's still day to day. They, the Bruins didn't practice Tuesday. So we'll find out more on Wednesday when they practice.
1: Okay, so we will keep you posted on that. But my opening shift has to do with the fourth line because I think it had to have been their best game of the season. And as of right now, it's Danton Heinen with Johnny Beecher and Oscar Steen. And Beecher also had his first career goal. So, um, and his was the opening goal of the game. It was really a a pretty shot. It was funny because he was like, I think that was the nicest goal I've ever scored. and (laughs) Which is like, it was a good goal. So um, he was very happy with it. And he actually got over 13 minutes of playing time, which is pretty much the exact same amount that Matt Potra as the third line center got and that fourth line kept getting rewarded with ice time because they had a majority of their shifts they spent most of the time in the offensive zone they just looked very strong they were working together they were getting guys in front of the net, Danton Heine had another good game I thought Oscar Steen looked good and and Beecher strong at the dot again and with a goal.
2: So for me, every team uh, is going to have their deficiencies and things to work on. But 10-1-1 through the first 12 games of the season, the Bruins just continue to be an absolute juggernaut in the regular season over the last couple of calendar years. And early on this season, it was easy to kind of point at Chicago twice and Anaheim and San Jose, although Anaheim is playing really well. They've won six or eight games of late, so maybe that win against Anaheim was more impressive than we thought. Um, but my point is the 10 wins the Bruins have had this year. A lot of them now, uh, more than half have been against really solid teams that you expect to be there at the end of the season. Um, And, you know, so, for, I mean, they've, they've gotten wins over uh the, the Kings, uh, the Panthers, the Red Wings, who are off to a great start this year, obviously um Toronto and Dallas last night. Like they're getting, they're getting wins against quality teams. Um So it's just, it's, it's really impressive. Again, it's, it's a, a lot of moving parts this year. And, and you look at some of the problems other teams are having. I mean, you look at New Jersey, Carolina, Tampa, Toronto, all these teams in the East that everybody, including us, kind of expected to be the cream of the crop in the East. And it's like the Bruins are just light years ahead of them in the standings. They're second overall in the NHL in the standings, two points behind Vegas, uh, first in the East. So the the Bruins are just – I, are we taking them for granted a little bit? I mean, maybe uh, they just they keep doing taking care of business,
0: yeah. well, and it's interesting because it's record wise, it looks similar to last year, where it's just like ten, one and one, one of the best teams in the league. but it looks different. that they, they are not and now especially against better teams. They're not dominating the way that they did last year. They're not just cruising to two, three, four goal wins. A lot of these games are close. They're going down to the wire in the third period. And I know, you know, they've blown a couple of them, Anaheim and Detroit. They're they're two losses. But this is what it looks like for a lot of teams. Like a lot of teams play close games. Someone ends up with an extra attacker situation. You know, the team with the lead is biting their fingernails. Like it, we forget because it happened so infrequently last year, but This is usually what the NHL looks like. Um, And they're finding a way to win more of these games, obviously a lot more than they're losing, which is, uh, you know, encouraging and the sign of a good team that you find a way. And obviously he wasn't our opening shift, but he wasn't any of our opening shifts, but a big reason for it is their goaltending. And Jeremy Swayman was awesome once again, Monday night and is now 6-0-0, Leads the NHL and save percentage and goals against average. So that's a huge part of it. But, you know, Dallas made a strong push in that third period. And, um, you know, kind of had the Bruins on their heels a little bit, spent a lot of time in the Boston zone, but they find a way to get the win and Swayman obviously stands tall.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially in that last, I would say like eight or so minutes of the game, he saved them a few times. Um he came up huge. He's jumped on rebounds. He I mean he's looked good the whole season. He seems extra confident. Not that he's ever not been confident, but he just seems to have taken a step forward even more. Um and yeah, huge part of the record same as last season has to do with the goaltending, especially enough that covers up the holes that you might have on defense. Because, Scott, your opening shifts about Mason-Laura having kind of an up and down first three games of his NHL career. Um, And you you can make up for some of the flaws in the defense and, you know, in the penalty kill if you have a good goalie or two, (laughs) like the Bruins do.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, a team that doesn't have a good goalie or two like the Bruins do is Edmonton, right? They're another example of a team that, like, um, I mean they they put Jack Campbell on waivers today. And Edmonton, for the longest time, we've always kind of said it's what like their their team is McDavid and settle And McDavid hasn't had a great offensive start to the season. Like when when they look kind of human and their goaltending is what it is, like you have a team and Edmont- like Edmonton's two eight and one. They're not a two-eight and one roster, but a lack of goaltending can can do that to you. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have Boston who just like yeah, just 10 1 and 1. Like, I mean, and it's it's crazy. Like, you look at the standings in like Tampa Bay is like five, like five and four or five four and one, and Toronto, New Jersey, like, all these teams have like 14 to 17 points. Like those are good starts. It's just not 10, one and one. Like it's just that's what goaltending and defensive structure does for you, which is you know, to not to tip our own hats, but um we kind of acknowledge that in the offseason, we're like, this team's gonna be good still because they have goaltending and defense better than anybody else really in the league. the the combination of those two and um and you're seeing it in like on full display right now
0: yeah i think some idiot on some bruins podcast picked the oilers to get to the stanley cup final and i I don't remember who that was but um by the way (laughs) we're second to
1: last in the league and they're like minus 18 on the season but they're they're... it's
0: awful it's brutal they've lost they've lost three times to vancouver already which by the way, where like where did this Canucks start come from? Like they, they've been awesome. We're and,
2: talking.
0: Yeah, I mean they they look like and it looks legit. Like it doesn't look fluky at all. That looks like a it's
2: really good team. Well, goaltending um, Scott. They have goaltending in Thatcher Demko. Like if they don't have goaltending for like that could be a situation where we've seen that Canucks team flounder because the goaltending wasn't there. But they had talent. They always had Hughes and Pedersen and Besser who had some personal issues um recently but and jt miller like, they've had talent but when you don't have goaltending it can drown you and fortunately in boston we don't have that issue
0: yeah but we will be circling back later in the podcast to the uh
2: the whole bruins oilers
0: blockbuster trade discussion because that that got a lot of reactions so uh we will uh, touch a lot, on of people, some of
1: that. a lot of people responded to our our tweet and to our podcast like in the comments and everything so yeah we're gonna get back to that um but we should stick to to um the game against dallas just thoughts on maybe some other players that you you thought had good games i have i have a few thoughts on that third line um with patra frederick and geeky um, i don't know where you guys want to start there
0: well bridget i'll, I'll build off your opening shift you nailed it. Like the, the fourth line, that was their best game of the season. Uh, before Monday night, no member of the fourth line, not just the three who played last night, but anyone who's played on the fourth line this season had scored a goal yet. Uh, a couple of them had been on the ice for goals and had helped set some up, but none of them had actually scored one. So Beecher's was the first. Um, and, you know, just a really nice play by him taking, taking the space that was there. And then they set up Lori's goal as well. That that's the line that's out there. Steen's in on the four check. Heinen makes the pass out to Lori. Um, and they they were in the offensive zone. they were the, the Bruins' best line in that game, like without question. And what makes that even more encouraging is that we on the last podcast we did, we talked about needing to bounce back from the loss in Detroit. And it would be it was gonna be a tough challenge. Dallas is a really good team. Well, that bounce back – for that bounce back to be led, you know, in large part by your fourth line, by players like Johnny Beecher and Oscar Steen and Danton Heinen who, like, just signed. Like, that's really encouraging. It's – sometimes you wonder, you know, especially with this team with all the turnover, all the new faces, you wonder, like, are they going to be too reliant just on their star players for stuff like that, for bounce backs, for the big games when they need it? and. The Bruins weren't on Monday night. Like, they got it from other guys up and down the lineup. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to get more into Lori, but, like, him scoring the goal, too. Like, that's that's huge, even though, you know, he ends up not finishing the game as strong as he started. But, like, for that bounce-back effort to be led by guys lower in the lineup, less experience, is something I think the Bruins can build off.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It kind of gives you shades of the 2017-2018 season when, you know, you had at the time a young Danton Heinen, Charlie McAvoy, Jake DeBrusk, Andrews Bjork, Bridget's favorite. Um, that at the time, like, they were all kind of doing their thing and it was it was an, a good influx of youth. But now it's kind of like you're seeing, I mean, Mason Lori and Matt Potra and Johnny Beecher. Let's just stick with those three guys. Like, if those guys are developing into, like, legit NHLers for you this year that's that's an amazing development for the Bruins Obviously you hope for that right when you draft Johnny Beecher in the first round Mason Lori uh, and Potts, like you hope for these things but as we've seen like it, draft picks are a gamble you never know for sure and they 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 desperately needed uh, some young kids to to step up and to their credit they've been given opportunities it hasn't been perfect at all times and yeah we'll we'll talk about Lori. For sure, um, but sticking to Bridget's opening shift, like yeah, like Johnny Beecher just looks like he reminds me of somebody who, when he gets comfortable in his own skin, uh, which he is, I think. But like more, more reps in the NHL, and I just I see a more, eventually, I think I see a more polished, offensively polished uh, Sean Corrali type player. Big body, can skate well, but I think I think when he gets to his nhl peak i think he'll provide more offense than a sean corrali but that's great that's a great guy to have in your bottom six obviously patra we know about and Lori so um to have three guys step in three rookies step in this year is really impressive for any team let alone boston but it's a great development
1: yep and uh he actually has the best or the highest of th- of the four centers he has the highest faceoff percentage i know he's not getting the same kind of matchups as Charlie Coyle is at the dot and, and um, Zaka, but he's done what he needs to do in terms of winning faceoffs. Um, and he has spent time on penalty kill. He has gotten his minutes five-on-five uh, five and shorthanded, and he's looked good. He's looked comfortable. Um, he doesn't look like a liability, and I would say the same thing about the other two players that have been on the fourth line with Steen and Heinen. I, I don't think that they look like they're um, a line that you want to take off the ice as quick as you possibly can. They've, they've actually shown that they can bring a lot of energy. Um, they're young, they're fast. Uh, and Heinen, this was Heinen's fourth game. And I think he's looked more and more um, up to speed as time's gone on. So the first game that he played, he maybe was a little bit rusty, though he did have some moments where he contributed. And um, you see him, he also was part of the play that got Laura his first ever point. And then he's uh, part of the play for his first goal as well, so he's he can be an important player. I do see him, uh, Dan Heinen, fitting into the lineup kind of wherever you might need him. So um, when Lucci comes back, what happens to Dan Heinen? What happens to Oscar Steen? We don't know, but I think that Heinen has made a really good case for himself.
0: Yeah, certainly see Heinen sticking around. We we touched on it last pod even even if he's not a regular in the lineup, he's such a good Swiss Army knife to have as your thirteenth forward. Um, you know, we also touched on Steen, who now is five games into the 10 he can play before he would have to go through waivers again, um, which, you know, Bridge, I think you said, like, unfortunately, I think it means he's probably going to get sent down before those 10 games, even if the Bruins aren't completely healthy up front yet. But, you know, the the overarching theme here is, like, they clearly have good depth, you know, which I think we knew, right? Like all the discussions we had about four was whether they had enough top six talent or whether the, you know, Zach and Coyle could handle more as centers. And of course, you know, Patra completely changed that conversation. But we knew that they were deep. And and you see that now where it's like Heine and Steen sort of got their chances to start playing regularly only because Lucic and Lauko are out and, and they've played well and they've, I think, been making, you know, pretty much the most of, of the ice time they've gotten in these games that they've played. But like Lucic and Lauko were both playing pretty well before they got hurt too. So, you know, and then you still have, you know, we saw, I think one game of Jesper Boquist and, you know, didn't go great, but like, he's played in the NHL. He's, you know, he's certainly a guy you can plug in. Mark McLaughlin's still down in Providence. Like, you know, Patrick Brown, I know all of Bruins Twitter hates him, thinks he's the worst hockey player ever, but like, he's another good depth piece. He can play wing or center. He wins draws. He can kill penalties, like handle heavy defensive zone starts. So every team's looking for depth. And I think, we're seeing from the Bruins, at least up front, that they have it. Um, certainly they're being tested even more on defense right now. Uh, with McAvoy. We still haven't heard any official word on his appeal. Um, I guess we're we're gonna have to hear Wednesday. Like, did they can only shave one game off at this point? So either he's still suspended for Thursday or he's not. My guess is he still will be. Um but we know Grizzly on long-term IR, and Forbert still out through the road trip. We'll see about Thursday. But, um, yeah, interested in what you guys thought of Lori, Wotherspoon, Mitchell, all three of them, um, Monday, unless you had, you know, further thoughts on the forwards.
2: Mitchell reminds me kind of like a little bit of Clifton. He's kind of robust and a little bit just kind of uh, he's he's a little bit all over the place. He's okay, you know. He's but uh, I thought he was fine. Witherspoon, I there was a play where he just like had an opportunity to hit a uh, Robert Jason Robertson at the blue line and just skated like didn't make contact with him, and Robertson had a great a scoring chance or led to a great a scoring chance. So again, like I kind of said last episode, um, my attention's more on Lori and 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 how he's doing. um I see the other two as just placeholders, but I see Lori as a potential fixture. And I would say that I'm glad that he scored his first goal. I'm glad he got his first point against Toronto. He's clearly producing offensively. He's helping the team win. And I would also say I'm glad he's making mistakes, and I'm glad that he's learning at the NHL level. Like, this is kind of the give and take, bridge. I think you mentioned that off the top. Like, there's a, there's a give and take there, and I want that to happen. Like, you need to learn through those mistakes. And I think the Bruins, hopefully – Will allow him to continue to, to to learn those tough lessons, but he's also still helping them win games too. So um, it's been a little Jekyll and Hyde, but I just still think the offensive upside and upside in general far exceeds some of the, his his mistakes. I know some have been costly, but let it let it happen. Let him learn.
1: I would say of those three guys, the Detroit game was collectively the worst game for each one of them. Um, I think they all looked a little bit more on solid footing in the game against Dallas. They, the D uh, pairings were rotated a lot. Um, everybody played a little bit of time with everybody, it felt like. Um, I would say that of Mitchell, Witherspoon, and Lorai, Mitchell has been the most consistent. Um, Lorai has had his ups and downs, which he had higher highs. Obviously, he's he's got two points in those three games, a goal and an assist. Mitchell, I think just though he's, he's not, he doesn't have the same kind of upside. I think he's more consistent uh, defensively and he can jump into the offense where there's spoon. You just, you just hope that he doesn't make some bad reads and, and give the puck away uh, in the wrong situation. So um, that's really my thoughts on those three in the three games that they've come in to replace a McAvoy
2: Your
0: happy price, price line. Yeah, I think I think Wotherspoon and Mitchell were okay Monday against Dallas. Brian, I agree with you. Like they're they're just placeholders. Mitchell maybe six around as a seventh defenseman, which he was to start the year. Just because you know he he can step in. He has some NHL experience. Um, Jim Montgomery obviously likes him, but. Um yeah, but he he is he can be a little bit reckless though and, and take some chances he doesn't doesn't really need to take, but I think he sort of feels like he has to because he kind of has that label of like well, he's sort of the more offensive defenseman and you know, it's like that's supposed to be part of what he brings. Um but you want it you want it to be controlled. So, Laurie obviously is the most interesting of the three and I'm also okay with like letting him make mistakes at the NHL level and learning from it but it has to stay within reason and I think what you saw Monday is clearly there were a couple too many for Jim Montgomery to trust him down the stretch and you know it's kind of telling when Weatherspoon and Mitchell are still getting shifts in the final five ten minutes of the third period, and Laura is not like that's not that's not a great sign. Like part of what he's going to have to prove at this level is that he can be trusted in those situations and help them preserve a lead down the stretch in a one or two goal game. Um, I'm interested. I'm curious if you guys had any problem with the benching because this when I tweeted out that he had only had one shift in the last 12 minutes, there were a lot of reactions of like, I thought we were done with this when, you know, when they moved on from Cassidy, Uh, you know, what is Montgomery doing at this crazy, like one mistake and he gets benched. And my counter is like, it it wasn't one mistake. It, It was a couple on Monday night. It was also a couple on Saturday. Like he has, yes, we've seen the flashes offensively, but, Um, you know, the, some of the defensive miscues and misreading plays in transition. Uh, I don't want to say, like, I don't want to like exaggerate, but there's, there's been like four or five of them now. It's not like, it's only been one or two.
1: I don't think it was. So like what they're referring to is Cassidy, like benching people to send a message. I think this was like a functional benching. Like this wasn't a send you a message only kind of benching. It was like, okay, I'm going to put the guys out there that are are going to help us hold on to this, um, this game because things were starting, the wheels were starting to fall off. Things were getting close. It was a nail biter to the finish. And you're, you know, you're putting the guys out there that you think are going to be better at shutting down the Dallas offense. And if you haven't seen that from him earlier in the game, then it's not just trying to send him a message. It's okay. I'm going to send out, uh, Carlo and Lindholm super often. And you know, mix in the other guys. But if you don't trust him in those matchups for, for whatever reason that you saw earlier in the game, it's not just like, Hey kid, you're sitting. It's, it's like, no, we're putting the guys out there that we think give us a better chance to win. So I think that's a different, there's, there's a distinction to be made between those two different kinds of benchings.
2: I would agree with that. I, I would say the only benching that would really catch my eye or rub me the wrong way is if you get sent back down to Providence, because As long as he's at the NHL level, like that's kind of what I care about right now. I want to see him just continue to get these reps and 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 develop at this level because clearly, clearly, even though he's having some defensive mishaps, he's able to keep up with the with the NHL pace of play and contribute um, at the same time offensively. So he just needs to some you know, like for example, there was a play where. I'm trying to remember which goal it was, but, uh, it may have been, I forget which goal, which Dallas goal it was, but basically he, he, he chased Jamie Ben into the corner and just like, he was out of position and realized he was out of position and tried to get back to the front of the net or, or Jamie Ben was in front of the net. He was chasing a Dallas star in the corner, realized he was in the wrong, stopped, tried to get back. But by that time it was a little bit too late. The shot already got into the net and, and it was tipped in. So, some of it's just like film, like just like remember where you're not supposed to be in, in your own zone, um, and it's nothing too crazy. But I, if if the Bruins send him back down to Providence and something and like a, a Mitchell or or Witherspoon is still up, like that's a benching I would be upset about. But other than that, I didn't I didn't really have an issue with that in game. To Bridges' point, um, it was kind of a circumstantial best chance to win right now uh, defensively.
0: Yeah, I as we sit here right now, I still want to see him get basically the trial until Grizzly comes back, which won't be until after Thanksgiving. But as I said in the last pod though, like if, if like three or four tough games start to pile up, then I do think you could see him sent down before then. Um, You know, I hopefully obviously he bounces back, plays better the next game and you don't have to worry about that. but you know, it, it it will become an interesting conversation when Grizzly returns, if the Bruins are completely healthy on the back end at that point, because I do think if there aren't like significant strides over these next couple weeks, I do think you could see them get sent back down at that point. And, you know, I just feel like, I feel like fans should, should prepare for, start preparing for that now, because I think a lot are going to, get mad if and when it happens um but you know there are clearly things that he still needs to work on and and that are still developing and you know i know like like ty anderson made the point on twitter of like he gets benched in a close game in the third period last night in boston because the coach doesn't trust him in providence he gets to play the entire third period and help the team close it out and learn how to do that like you can't, you have to actually like plan those situations to learn how to do it. But Bridget, to your point, like Montgomery is just doing what he thinks he has to do to win the game. So if that means not throwing Lori out there to let him, you know, learn through experience and growing pains, then so be it. Like he's, he's just trying to get two points.
2: But how do you um, in that circumstance, right? So you mentioned in Providence, he's, he's playing in those moments, not sitting on the bench. Okay. Well, he's got two points in three NHL games, his first three NHL games. Let's say by the time Grizzly comes back to full health, say he's got like 10 or 12 games under his belt and he's got like eight or nine points. How do you, how do you, how do you send that down to Providence and not just let, let him try to keep developing at the NHL level? Maybe you spot, maybe you, maybe you just keep being selective with his ice time and, 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 and his situational play. I know you want to, get him playing in all circumstances. I get it. But, um, how do you h- hypothetically say, say he's got like seven to nine points in 10 to 12 games. How do you send that down to Providence?
1: I, if, if with those numbers, you don't, if those are the numbers and you don't, I think what you want to see is just building different parts of his game as time goes on. Um, and I will point out that his two points already tied with Lindholm's two points. Um, cause Lindholm got his second assist in in the game in Dallas um same he has the same amount of points as Forbert uh Shattenkirk Mitchell all of those defensemen are kind of sitting around that that same location in in the two-point uh category so yeah he's already in three games been able to do that I think that the issue is just having him work on certain things that if you don't if you don't feel like risking him out there you might rather have him work on those things in profits um that that's the only one I, I don't know if I'm explaining that well enough but
0: yeah well and, and then along the same lines of what I just said about like playing in all situations it, what if he's getting bumped off the pK when forward returns what if he's getting he's played very little in the power play anyways up in Boston he has gone a, a little bit of time in the second unit. But what if that's completely gone once McAvoy returns? Because now you have McAvoy, Lindholm, Shattenkirk all ahead of him. Like Mason Lori long term, if he reaches a ceiling, projects as someone who's playing in every situation across the board. So in Providence, he's doing that. If he's up here and he's not really getting PK time and he's not getting power play time and he's not really trusted in tight games where you need to Preserve a lead. Like at some point, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to send him back to Providence. But again, he, he still has a couple weeks here to prove that he can get better in those areas, and and he's absolutely still has an opportunity to earn a regular lineup spot and stick even after Grizzly comes back.
1: I think I, Brian, your point though was that what if he's showing the defensive deficiencies but still getting involved enough in the offense to like hold on to the spot is that what
2: yeah yeah kind of and but also I don't you know I don't see a guy who's god-awful defensively in in these three games so far he's had a couple of mishaps but I I haven't noticed a player who's been you know making his team like him like he's still good in transition he's it's his first three games um I wouldn't say he's been a a liability every time he's out there, just a couple of moments here and there, but he's also canceled those out with some production. Um, You know, also like the whole going down to the, to the AHL to play more minutes and in all situations, I totally understand that. I do. Um, What I would say is, and I'm not comparing the players necessarily, obviously, but you know, how much time in Providence did Charlie McAvoy have and how much time in Providence did Brandon Carlo have? Did Carlo play a whole season in Providence? I don't think so. Um, so no, like,
1: I, I think he, he made the team at a camp after the rookie development camp that season. Right.
2: So, so it is possible to have a, a player of a certain, uh, set um, learn on the fly in, in meaningful games in, at the NHL level.
1: And so to, to make a comparison to what you're saying, Carlo did that with Chara. And I feel like there's a similar, like Laura, could do that with Carlo. I feel like there's well, a similarity between the, those players' size, um, their reach, what they could learn from each other at that level. I get what you're saying, Ryan.
0: Yeah, my my counter would be that Laura is a different player than McAvoy and Carlo and has a different back. He didn't switch from forward to defense until he was 16. Like that's kind of late in his development. It's part of the reason why he didn't get drafted the first year he was eligible. But he's, he's a different kind of player, you know. McAvoy comes up through the U.S. development program and plays at BU. Like that's he has a much stronger foundation. Um, and anyone to, again, who comes for
1: BU is uh, NHL obviously. ready, yeah.
0: according
1: to Scott, because that's where Scott went.
0: Clearly, yeah, I, I was NHL ready when I left BU. Of course,
1: uh, and and you're in the big leagues <laughs> now, Scott. So you're you proof right there. I mean, was and Car-
0: it and Carlo and Carlo was. Defense was always the strength of his game, so he at least had that, and you know that the hope was like his offense would develop, and it has a little, but obviously, you know, never quite came like super far along.
1: I I, I think Brian's point was more that that's an option of how to get him to NHL speed um, alongside, and I think in this case, it's important. It's important to clarify, you need him playing on a pair with a, a decent partner, right? You, if he's out there with Mitchell and, and not to be mean to Shattenkirk, but I don't think like I, he needs to be out there with Carlo really. Um, And then, but so to think about it, when, when McAvoy comes back and Forbert comes back, what do the pairs look like? Like who's he next to that we're going to see what he can do um, for the next few games before Grizzly comes back. Cause that that's going to be a big factor in how he does as well.
2: That's a good point. I also think that there are just certain players that I just think are above the AHL. And I think Laura, I, just think he's already there. Like I see him benefiting more from trying to defend NHL stars and caliber players. than I do him getting minutes against, you know, a first liner on Hershey who, you know, can't crack Washington's lineup. Like fundamentally you can learn things, but I just think, I just think he's a special player. He's a special talent. And I just don't think the NHL lights are too big for him. I just think he has to, he just has to learn on the fly a little bit. I don't think every prospect or player is capable of learning on the fly at the NHL level. I think he's one of them. I think just like I thought McAvoy was in Carlo. And I know they're all different players and came from different backgrounds. And you can say what you want about him starting a defense at 16. But I just think that certain players can get away with learning on the fly at the NHL level. And I think he's one of them. That's the only point am that I'm trying to make.
0: Yeah, and Bridget, you're you're right to point out the pairings. Like I, I don't think he's been done any favors being paired with Ian Mitchell or even honestly, even Shattenkirk, who I thought that first game against Toronto when they ended up together in, like, third period and half the second period, they played well together in that game. But since then, like, that, they've just not looked very good together. So I do think when For when Forbert comes back, your third parent should be Forbert and Shattenkirk. And then Laura should be with either Carlo or McAvoy is what I would do. Um, most likely you're going... Probably going Lint home Carlo, because as we've as we've seen, Montgomery is he's he's almost too addicted to that pairing for his own good. Like even when he even when he wants to mix things up and like spread the wealth around a little, it, it's just so te- it's like. And I get it; they're one of, if not the best, shutdown pairings in the NHL. So when you're facing uh, a top line that has Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, and Rupe hints on it, or Dylan Larkin and Alex DeBrinket on it, or Austin Matthews on it. Like, yeah, it's almost like, duh, why wouldn't we use our shutdown pairing? But on the other hand, it does it does end up like hanging Lori out to dry. So getting McAvoy back certainly helps with that because I do think you can put Lori and McAvoy together and give them. You know, sort of more offensive zone shifts, manage them that way. If you want to keep Lindholm Carlos just shut down pairing, and that should obviously help Lori
1: Yeah, and it's gonna get him more playing time. It's gonna be he's gonna be out there because he's out there with McAvoy, and that's gonna be a pair that that gets a lot of ice time. So you're not only are you letting him play minutes that he's he's comfortable with playing big minutes, he's probably more comfortable with that than than sitting for extended stretches of time. Like part of his game has always been eating up a lot of minutes. So you might be putting him in a more natural spot in more ways than one to play his game at the best of his ability. Um so that could be a completely different look. And obviously we're three games in and he's had some some ups as well as the downs. So um if you could just kind of be a little bit more consistent, um On the back back end of things, I think he's still your best option to stick around. Um, We've gotten a lot into the defense though, and I did mention I want to talk about the third line, Um, and and the the top six as well. But just working, well, we're kind of like working from the fourth line to the third line, second, first. Um, So I wanted to talk about the Potra line and get your thoughts on what it looked like because in the second period they had a they had a few shifts one in particular that was really good but Patra was getting his ass kicked like he took a high stick to the face he just took a bunch of hits along the boards he got knocked to the ice like he was just getting his butt kicked and he's on that line with frederick and coach montgomery said we're gonna put him with frederick it should you know help discourage things like that. But we're talking about clean hits. We're talking about clean plays. He's not getting targeted. This is just what the NHL is like. And I'm noticing him kind of fighting through it and and having to figure out a way around that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, certainly nobody is not going to stop playing hard hockey on somebody because Trent Frederick's out there. Right. Um, And I I know you're not suggesting that obviously, but yeah, like he's got, again, this is similar to what I was mentioning with Laura, like, this is what you want. You want him to, you want him to learn and to to play through this. And you want him to learn the NHL level. And it's easy to look at Patra having, what is it? Uh, Let me see here. What's he got? Seven, seven points in 12 games. I mean, that's, that's for a 19 year old. It's, it's, it's beyond impressive. And so sometimes you, you see seven points in 12 games and you think, well, this kid's got it all figured out. He doesn't. He's still he's still learning. He's still learning the speed. He's still learning the strength of the players. What's impressive is that he's still being a very effective and productive player while learning all this. But you know, a game like last night, it's like yeah, let that happen. Let him learn on the fly. But uh, no, Trent Frederick will not be um, somebody who's going to make people not not play hockey against against Patra. But again, that's good. Let, let him continue to to grow and develop.
0: Yeah, I I haven't. I kind of mentioned this in the last podcast, like Patra's production on Saturday came away from his usual line. And I didn't love that line again on Monday. Frederick Potra geeky. I thought thought they were really quiet for the most part, spent a lot of time in their own zone. and that's two games in a row of that. Um, you know, yes, they are they're road games against good teams, but guess what? That's what happens in the NHL. Like you don't, you don't get to pick and choose matchups all the time. So, um, you know, a a really good third line is a line you feel like you can throw out there against anyone, or you feel like, you know, they're not going to be disadvantaged in, in any matchup. And that line I sort of think has been on, on the losing end of some matchups when, Detroit and then Dallas were able to get their top lines out against them. Um so I think I don't want to say like I'm totally giving up on that line because I'm I'm not. And and I think the top six has shown some potential, even though you know maybe the the goal totals haven't been there. So I would be okay with Montgomery for once, like actually just letting things ride and not, you know constantly throwing everything in a blender but i do think that line has to be better than it's been the last two games
2: and i haven't bridget to specifically answer your question i haven't loved that line conceptually since it's been put together like i i I think that iron sharpens iron and i don't i look at i look at trent frederick and i look at morgan geeky and i kind of see you know two big bodies but neither one is the fleetest of foot um, they're certainly not getting up and down the ice with a ton of quickness and they don't have a lot of flash to their game or a lot of uh they can't really create offense out of nowhere, like somebody like a Brad Marchand or a Jake Debrusk or somebody you know, obviously Passmack in the top six, like those guys. I just think you gotta sometimes, if you want to get the best out of a player, you gotta put them around players that help them optimize their skill set. I don't think that's Trent Frederick and Morgan Geeky for Matt Patra.
1: No, and and to to that point the biggest asset that Matt Potter can bring is his hockey IQ. Well, you have to have guys that are, uh, that are thinking what he's thinking and on the same page. Are are you calling
2: Trent Frederick and morning geeky dumb?
1: (laughs) No, I'm not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She's not calling them smart though.
1: I'm saying you need people that are thinking the game. They have to know what each other is thinking before, before the play is made. Like you have to know, Okay. Say you're Matt Patra. Okay, I know Marshawn's going to be here, but he also has to be expecting you to look for that pass the same way. So, um, you do it, it, conceptually, it, it seems like you're better off putting him with players who have that kind of IQ as well that are aware of where of what each other want to do. Um, and you're better off playing that kind of a, a line consistently together so that they can build. Up even more and more of knowing where each other wants the puck and, and wants to be on the ice. So um he did look better in his shifts with the you know with Pasternak obviously and with with Zaka and at times with Marshawn. So I mean, he's going to look better next to better players. Everybody is, but he's also able to show off his skill set. the The question becomes, who's the better setup guy for Pasta? Like, do you do you trust? Van Riemsdyk and the, the dynamic that they have with Zaka as a better setup. Because I thought that that line was – I thought that Pasta was a little bit quiet. He had one shot on the power play off the post. But in terms of trying to activate Pasternak's offense, I I didn't think they did that a lot in the Dallas game. And so maybe Patra's is somebody that's looking to set him up in different ways. Um, I thought that the, they could have done better. At, and, and I'm not saying that's Van Riemsdyk's fault at all. He's a completely different style player. He's somebody that's going to the net, but it's a totally different dynamic when it was Patra on that line with Zaka and and Pasternak.
2: So, just to kind of um, finish up some of these opening opening shifts, and then we want to we want to jump into a little bit of a brief mailbag. Scott, you look like you uh, you have something yeah. To, yeah. to say
0: quickly on Patra, because part of this part of this equation and Montgomery mentioned it when he moved Patra back to the third line is they're trying to manage his minutes. Cause I think when he was up on that first line, he had back-to-back games over 17 minutes and I'm sure Patra felt great. He's 19 years old. Like, you know, of, of, of course, but the Bruins also know he's never played an NHL season. He's never played 82 games. And at some point he is going to hit a wall. so they're they're trying to manage it leading up to that and you know try to limit his minutes a little bit um, And part of that is moving him down the lineup. But you know it, it's I think there are going to be times that where you're gonna to have to move him up in the lineup because you can't you're not going to win much with an ineffective third line, and people people on YouTube seeing Bridget and Brian smirking. That we, we got a, we got a side check going on that's distracting me. I should just answer it is,
2: out of <laughs> No, no, no,
1: no. This, <laughs> ignore us. Ignore us. We're insulting Scott in the side
0: check. I know this, this is brutal. This, this is like this is like like on like the radio shows when like um, one of the one of the producers would be doing trending and. The host is just like talking in their ear to try to distract them.
1: Oh, are you talking about what Fourier does to me every <laughs> single time?
0: That because is exactly what I was thinking of.
1: dancing and start going, trying to mess me up. And then I turn around and I'm like, get out of here. And the radio Sorry. listeners have no idea what's going on. And I'm just like, because I'm yelling at him like, Fourier, get out of here.
2: <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Scott. We, we, we didn't think you could see us. Sorry about that. <laughs> um but uh so so uh quickly on, on on the 10-1-1 start how have you guys viewed them we know defensively and in that the Bruins are you know as good as really anybody from a structural standpoint and a personnel standpoint but speed wise uh offense wise how, how, how have you liked their game against Toronto and and LA and Dallas um some of these teams that we expect to be there obviously none of those teams in my opinion are Vegas or Colorado um, but how 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 do you think the visually that the, the Bruins have matched up when it comes to pace of play and just you know they're 10-1 and 1 obviously the record says they're amazing but um how 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 you viewed the the games against the tougher competition so far
0: I think the last two games in particular they're spending too much time in their own zone um and they're now now in the season, they're kind of like right around a 50% Corsi team, like basically middle of the pack and in shot attempts, but that's gone down. And part of that is they've been shorthanded on defense, like we can't ignore that. Um, but I do think it's it's a it's a formula that puts a lot of pressure on your goalies, and their goalies have been up to it, especially Swayman so they can, they can get away with it more than other teams can. But at some point, and it might be as soon as McAvoy returns, as soon as they get healthier in defense. But, you know, you do want to see them establish themselves in the offensive zone more and spend more time down there, not be able to kill plays quicker in their own end, get out, get in transition. Montgomery's talked all season about, being faster in transition i think that's still something they're working on so um yeah look they're 10-1-1 one, and one. it's hard to complain about too much but like that's one nit that i would pick is they're they're getting pegged pinned into their own zone quite a bit
2: so none of us here think that it's smoke and mirrors as, as far as them being a playoff team right but is it a bit smoke and mirrors them being first place in the conference? Even if, even if they finish the season as the first place team in the East, like once the playoffs start, as we learned last year, it doesn't matter. So do you think them being the, the the cream of the crop in the East is a bit smoke and mirrors or too early to tell?
1: I, I think we kind of had a similar question a few podcasts ago, and I don't think it is. I think that they've shown their strengths and – but I don't feel like they have a floor that's bad enough to to drop them very far from where they are, right? Like, if you think about it, I don't think that every single person on this team and every single line on this team is way outperforming their abilities. So it's not like we're expecting to see a fall off in, in that kind of play. So I, I think that their their ceiling is first, and their floor is also – like second, like I, I feel like that's how good the team is, in the in the way that they've been able to find that, the depth that they found this season.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it's smoke and mirrors. I just think there's still stuff that they're working on and, and need to get better at. Um, but like that said, even even when they've been kind of outpossessed and chance Montgomery. Another thing he's highlighted, he's made a point of emphasis all year is winning at the net front. And right now they're top 10 in the NHL in high danger chances for, and they were inside the top 10 in high danger chances against. Um, I think Monday and Dallas, that game bumped them down to 11th, I believe, but they're still up there. So they are doing that pretty well. Like even, even when they're spending time in their zone, you know, most of the high danger chances they've given up have been off the rush. I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but on Nesson pregame before last night, before Monday's game, um, they had the staff from Sport Logic, which is not publicly available stuff, so we don't actually get to see it. But they had the Bruins giving up the second most uh, odd man rushes per game. So you clean that up, like you just don't give up as many odd man rushes their in-zone defense i think has been really solid so um you know they are winning those net front battles that montgomery has emphasized and that's hey like that's playoff style hockey so that's a good sign so um yeah i don't i don't think it's smoking mirrors at all i do think if they weren't getting such great goaltending we might be talking about a team that's Seven four and one, eight three and one instead of ten one and one, and that's still a really good team, but it's one that's more towards the pack and not running away from them.
2: Imagine just like I, I said this a while, a couple episodes ago, but if you are the rest of the league, and it's even more true now because there's more time has passed, but imagine if like like Pittsburgh just loses Crosby and Malkin, and then in the very next year, without replacing them externally, the Penguins are ten one and one. It's like, what? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's, they
1: might take that after this year's start. God, I, we had in our season previews, I was like, oh, they're going to be like a bubble playoff team. And as of right now, they're, what are they, bottom five? No, they're, they're sixth worst in the league. Mm. Um, I, so is Ottawa's not doing great either. Uh, so like there's been, there's some teams that Pittsburgh has certainly underperformed for what that fan base expected. And, I know that's not really what your point was, Brian.
2: Right? No, no. no. But
1: but there's teams ahead of ahead of them right now that I was not thinking would be ahead of them. Like they're so far out of the wild card race, it's not even funny. Um, So yeah, the Sabers, the Canadians, those are teams that are that are in front of them right now. So
2: yeah, no, it's just yeah, yeah, my yeah, my point was more or less just like it's it, it must just be infuriating, like. (laughs) Yes.
1: <laughs> for, yes. for,
2: for, for, for for teams and fans around the league, how is Boston 10 one, and one? They just lost their, their top two centers, and do they go out and sign a, a free agent, number one center? No, how is this possible? Like, no, what team can get away with that? Only the Bruins or a team like them who just has stout defense and you know, high end goaltending.
1: Yeah, no, I think Toronto, Toronto, the Toronto fan base gets frustrated easily, but they're definitely probably one of the fan bases that was. Uh, that was frustrated about the situation I was watching a little bit of Canadian TV like reaction to the to the Marshawn like over the top reaction to the Marshawn thing um, with Lilligren and this was like their today show like their legit like morning show not like a sports show like their legit morning show had about like a 15 minute discourse about how much they hate like the Leafs response and like I can now tell why nobody wants to play for the Leafs. Well, it's I think so I think
2: if it's the one that I'm that I saw, I think that was uh Sid. Is it Sid Six Six Zero or something like that? He used to ha- he used to have a like a sports talk show on on Sportsnet, and I think he went to do the, like the morning show you were saying. So he's he has a he's kind of like the the Mike Felger of Toronto. Like he has like very like pessimistic takes on all their sports teams up there, but he just. But It'd be like if Felger works for like, you know, went to work for, I don't know, Seven News Boston or something. For, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just insanity. Like, I, I don't know this. We're not trying to go on this tangent. But there was one other thing we wanted to cover before we before we go completely off base um and enter back into the side chat, uh, which was we put out a poll uh having to do with the conversation we had last podcast with the dry sidle, Allmark, Patra, crazy, giant trade. Um, And we got the results back. And, Scott, I don't know if you want to pull up what the poll results were. And we also had a lot of comments on YouTube and on Twitter. Um, And we do actually want to ask another question coming out of this. But, Scott, results.
2: And Facebook had hundreds of comments, too.
1: Yeah.
0: Keep talking because I have to find it.
1: Well, okay.
2: su- surprise, surprise, surprise. Um, you know, when Scott will read the results, but it was a when you put out this poll in, to a New England audience, a lot of people are going to side with their homegrown talent and their players as opposed to an unbiased national perspective. Um, so I wasn't too surprised with the results and in, in some of the comments because a lot of it really was kind of like not well thought out. It was just like, you know, Bruins avatars just saying in all caps, no way, like with no, no explanation. Um, because God forbid, like you, you acquire literally probably the second best offensive player in the world, um, and have to give up like Jake DeBrusque and a couple of uh, other pieces that nobody really knew of a month ago. Just saying, um, Scott, do you have the results yet? Was that enough? Uh, filler busting? Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, so o- over 600 votes, 80% no, and obviously, our audience is mostly Bruins fans, so. That gives you, you know, pretty clearly the Boston perspective. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it's interesting, though, because there's, like, different levels of... Some were just, like, straight-up no and then, like, countered with ridiculous offers that would never get accepted, whereas, like, it should just be debrusque mark in a second. And it's like, well, okay, the Oilers are laughing at
2: you then. Who are they getting How for that? Sense? J. Jay J Woodcroft?
0: Right, like... <laughs> yeah so it's like can we like try to keep it realistic because like that's you know i ultimately came down on no but i was like i just would want to find a way to downgrade one of those pieces like can i somehow keep patra or not give up a first round pick like something like that um and i do think there were some more reasonable responses that were like patra's the sticking point you know like take him out and I'm okay with the rest of it or replace him with, you know, maybe a slightly lesser prospect or, or something. It's, you know, I, I do feel like, and there certainly wasn't everyone who responded no, but I do feel like there's a decent amount of like really underrating Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, we went over, we went over his numbers, but it's like over the last six years, he, his 82 game average is 51 goals, 68 assists for 119 points. He has 77 points in 49 playoff games. Last year he scored 13 goals in 12 playoff games. Like and, and you know it can play physical like he's obviously a bigger body. You know, he's not like the biggest hitter in the world, but he he'll use that body and um I do feel like like if the Bruins made a blockbuster trade like this and dry settle comes and has like 15 points in his first nine games all of a sudden like bruins fans would be in love with them and be like holy crap like this is like i i wrote in the article i wrote up on this like he would be their best offensive center since at least adam Oates, and you possibly have to go back even further than that
2: he'd be their best offensive player he he like Leon Dreis, there there aren't many players in the world that are better offensively than David Pashnak or Brad Marchand. He's one of them. Like he is. Like a, he is. David pashnak has been a top 5 offensive player in the world the last handful of seasons. Leon Draisaitl has been like a top 2. Like it's it's I mean Scott those numbers you said like can you like just eyeballing like like roughly what's his what's Leon Draisaitl's point per game average as an NHLer and his 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 playoff point uh, per, per per game is like almost two points per game in the playoffs, in the postseason. And his regular season is probably like 1.6 or 1.7 points per game. That's what we're talking about. And people are up in arms. No, 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 no. Jake DeBras can't get rid of Allmark or a first-round draft pick or Lysel. Number one, Lysel has never played a game in the NHL. No first-round no first, no first round draft pick uh, will probably end up be, becoming nearly as good as Leon Dreissel's jockstrap. And then Jake DeBrusk could walk after this season. It's like people just they fall in love with their own players, and I admit it's a very difficult <laughs> decision. I was a very, I was a, it was a very difficult yes for me. But people, to your point, Scott, don't realize how good Drysaddle is now. People did mention if you lose DeBrusk and you lose Lysel now and in the future, you're kind of you're kind. And Scott, in your article, you kind of wrote the projected Bruins lines this year if they were to get Drysaddle. And of course, I don't like Trent Frederick and. And I think you had him in like the top six. Like, I don't like that. So that's something would have to be changed at the deadline. Um, So your winger depth would be depleted a little bit. um, But Dreisaitl is just literally one of the best hockey players in the world.
0: Yeah, just quickly but before we kick it to Bridget. But yeah, his his points per game since 2019, 1.55, 1.50, 1.38, 1.60, and now 1.27 through 11 games this year.
1: I, I mean, the, there's a reason why this didn't just die once it was proposed. Like, there's a reason why the debate has continued um on this trade because there's you could see wanting to make it work, right? You could see wanting to make a deal work to get Leon Draisaitl if you're the Bruins, and if you're the Oilers, you could see wanting to fix your goaltending and add some prospects and add a number one, add a first round pick. Um, But I think the sticking point for most people was Patra. And the funny thing about that is if you in in the off season had suggested that that was a a fair trade, everybody would have laughed in your face and said the Oilers weren't getting enough. (laughs) So that's that's the thing. Uh, But I. And
0: and by the way, Oilers fans hate the trade too. Like, the, right. The overwhelming majority of Oilers fans who responded to Butcher Grass weren't doing it
2: either. You you realize if you did a poll and didn't allow Bruins fans or Oilers fans to vote, you realize every other fan would be like, who's Matt Patra? And no disrespect to him. Like, I love him and I want him on the Bruins for like the next 20 years. I'm just saying, like, I don't people aren't understanding. Like, what's Matt Patra's ceiling in the NHL? Like we don't know, but like maybe maybe a sixty point guy, maybe seventy. the Scott just read off his numbers. It people don't realize how good of a player he is. And guess what? Next season, go out there and sign a couple of wingers. I mean, what to me, it's not even like it's it's it's. I mean, I've said my piece.
1: I can ex. I I feel like I can explain it from both sides why they don't like it. Like, okay, if you're imagine you're a Bruins fan and they're like someone's like we're gonna trade david Ponock for a goalie <laughs> like some prospects you'd be like no like what that's such an unsexy trade um that's probably what people in edmonton feel like um they probably feel like you don't have to give up that to find a better goalie you know it, the old mark is not the only option out there to to add a goalie and you're also thinking maybe this season's done anyway maybe we should just try to extend dry title <laughs> and keep them keep them around and figure out the whole goalie situation at some point this year with something simpler or some point in the off season, like, do we really need to to blow this up and get rid of one of our top players, one of the best players in the world? Um, and if you're the, if you're a Bruins fan, you're like, well, we actually kind of like what this team looks like right now. We kind of like and, and are excited to see what Potcher becomes and and don't want to get bit by, okay, trade him away. And he's good for the next 18 years and, and dry sidles, nine years older than him so he's not as long or maybe you don't aren't able to extend him I could see those arguments being both sides
2: you know what's interesting is I could see a world where Conor McDavid has more team success and Leon Dreisaitl has more team success when they're not together like if if the Oilers were to trade Dreisaitl and you get like a a legit goaltender like all Mark and a couple other pieces to surround McDavid with some stability in that and whatever. And then dry Settle goes to a team like Boston where they have, you know, again, they have all those things as well. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. And again, like I said, off the top of the podcast, Edmonton has waived uh, Jack Campbell. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't think anybody's going to really want him maybe, but I don't know. Well, I think it, and- it's
1: just so risky. Like, The risk-reward is so difficult to to assess with this trade package because it has both old and new players. It has players of all different positions. It has needs, like both people are filling needs, but also at the the exclusion of or or at the demise of other uh, strengths that they have.
0: Yeah, I mean, for Edmonton too, like, Brian, that that split like Trisaddle may get very well get traded at some point because he's up after twenty twenty five and is probably looking at something in the Austin Matthews neighborhood, which he just got thirteen point two five million. And then McDavid's up after twenty twenty six, and he's already at twelve and a half. What on earth is his next deal going to be? Like that is, if they do keep Bull, that is a ton of money committed to two players who admittedly are two of the three or four best players in the world, but they've already struggled to be able to build a good team around them. It's only going to get tougher if they're taking up, you know, an even larger percentage of your salary cap. So I I don't think the, I don't think the idea of the Oilers trading dry settles like totally insane. Like, I think that's something that they're kind of going to have to explore. But uh, yeah, I mean it's
2: and not I don't know not for nothing. Also, the Bruins aren't sold yet that Patra can be a number one center or Zaka could be a number one center. Like it might just be that the Bruins have a couple of number two centers and Charlie Coyle. Like we don't and 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 so the Bruins might not know who their future number one center is. You like to think it could be Patra or it could be Zaka, but we don't know and they well, don't know.
1: In, in that case, though. It, don't you don't you see the Bruins running into the same cap issue that the Oilers would run into with the contract that Pasternak has plus a dry settle contract that's really up there And then you're gonna want to have some of the younger guys that you developed around on the books for a little bit because those contracts are more manageable?
0: I, I think the Bruins are probably in better shape than Edmonton. like Edmonton also has Darnell nurse at 9.25. Bruins have McAvoy at nine and a half, but I'll take McAvoy a thousand times out of a thousand over Darnell Nurse. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, anytime you have that many big contracts, building out the rest of the roster is is challenging for sure. But you know, in recent years, we've seen Sweeney be able to get some guys in on cheaper deals. Um, if you have young players contributing, like. They're on cheaper deals. It's it's a challenge, but it's not impossible, I guess, is is what I would say. Um, and to Brian's point, like, Dry Dreisaitl answers all your number one center questions, and then you just figure out what to do behind them. Um, I know, uh, like, obviously, it's, it's all far-fetched. I don't think it's happening. Um, but – it is fascinating. Certainly got a lot of, a lot of reaction. The, the vast majority of it from Bruins fans, which was don't do it. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm certainly much more torn than, than the majority on this one.
1: Yeah, it was, I'm like scrolling through our comments on Twitter and, you know, some people were proposing their own versions of this. Uh, a lot of them were off the mark.
2: <laughs> yeah. they, they, would, they would only do it if it was like, um, this one. you know, Forber and Bob Ascenza.
0: No, this one is... Um,
2: they, the hey, the Oilers might do that because
0: I do think part of their problem is coaching. Like, I'm sorry, like, Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner should not suck as much as they do. Like, the, those guys aren't... Like, there is some talent there, and they just can't get it out of those guys.
1: We're not willing to trade goalie, Bob, okay? We're not. Bob Senza stays.
2: Montgomery well, I mean, was after game seven last year.
1: <laughs> he's he's untouchable. Um, so this one says Allmark, DeBrusque, and Forbert for yes. dry I think so, here's I mean, the
0: thing. Guys, there's a salary cap, and that trade doesn't make sense. The oilers nope. can't do that. They don't have enough cap space.
1: Nope. They don't, and also I feel like that Forbert one was thrown in just because this person doesn't like Forbert. <laughs> like it's just like also take this because we don't we're done, um, and we don't just because what if it was Lori instead of um, Patra?
0: Yeah, I saw someone mention that. Like that's that's certainly interesting. Um, I I think in in my mind I probably valued those two about equally um so it doesn't it doesn't fundamentally change the deal for me i guess it would just be you know what does edmonton look obviously edmonton is gonna want a i would think they'd want a center if they're trading dry side yeah they would. um but i don't know that that I, team also needs a ton of help on defense so.
2: i definitely uh I, you you value Laura and Patra equally i mean Based on I, positional needs, I, I think Patra is head and shoulders more because you have Lindholm locked in. And I mean, I like is a is a necessity. Laura at this current stage is kind of a luxury.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I'm saying in terms of how just how I evaluate them as players and what they can be. Like, yeah, I, I agree. Right now, Patra fills more of a need, both in the present and the future. Um, but like, and you're right, like Laura, would be probably be slightly easier to move because you have Lindholm and McAvoy locked up, but like, I'm not telling Edmonton that like in my mind, if I'm talking to Edmonton, it's like, no, these both are very highly valued players as they should be because they both have a lot of potential.
1: I, I feel like I'm much more apt to do the trade if it's Laura, because of what Brian mentioned, like you, you already have McAvoy and Lindholm tied up long term. Like if you could get Carlo, Carlo already still has years on his contract. But if you could keep him around, um, I feel like your defense is more set than your center position. And if you were able to keep Potcher, then you'd you'd go from being like trying to fill center gaps to being probably the elite, most elite team at center in the league.
0: But oh, yeah. <laughs> well but if you're getting dry sidle then you do you also have now you have dry at center zaka through 2027 coil through 2026 like now there's not as much of a does not meet at center either so just pointing that out
1: yeah well it's all hypothetical and what I, one thing that we wanted to mention before we finish this debate was Um, I put the little mailbag graphic up because if you have an idea that you think is better than this one, um, send us your email, put a comment uh, at the bottom of this YouTube video, uh, tweet at us your better version, but it has to be realistic. Like we're not talking about sending forward for dry sidle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and specifically, I I guess to keep it, to make it even more open-ended, like, are you open to trading a goalie at all? you know, like this has obviously once again, been a talk radio topic, but trying to keep it among maybe more, more serious hockey minds. Like are, are people open to it at all? So, you know, shoot us your ideas for just how you would handle the goaltending. Are you all in on keeping Allmark and swimming together for at least this season? Or are you open to trading one of them?
2: I mean, I know, I, I know the, uh, the biggest strength of the Bruins and every Bruins fan will say it, or most of them is is the tandem they have in goal. I get it, but all I will say is it is an absolute luxury to have two of the top goalies in the league on the same roster. You don't need two of the top goalies in the league in the same roster. If you have if you have two, that means you can you'll still have one and part with another. Like you you watch Jeremy Swayman and his composure and at his age, I mean he is he is a, I think he's a pretty special goaltender. I think he's only going to get better and better. And I think Allmark is phenomenal too. Um, and whatever, I just but think you, you can't go wrong. I think if, 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 if you keep them lovely, if you trade one of them, you still have one of the best goalies in the world, I think. And, but I think it's kind of a win-win,
1: but, but Brian, what about the goalie hugs? What about the goalie hugs? The goalie I'm, hugs are
2: gonna have to—they're gonna have to come to an end at some point, right?
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Are we supposed to answer this right now? Because I have thoughts, but like I don't like we, no, we people to
0: send in the question.
2: No, no. We've
0: already run long, so let's.
2: Yeah. let's get – I
1: want to say something. It's a little
2: a, little appetizer, you know. It's you know oh, cheese okay. factory nachos, you know. Just keep okay. eating the appetizer. We'll get the entrees maybe on Friday. Fine. All Fine. right. Do you, either of you have, well, Bridget, I know you, you wanted to have something to say, but. Oh, um, wait. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have that cliffhanger stuff. So people, they have to listen up. Right now, people are like, oh, come on, Bridget, say it, say it, say it. But <laughs> nope, you're going to have to wait till next episode now. Yeah. So that, that's a cliffhanger. That, that's a major league tease. Um, yeah, so
0: yeah. Send, send us ideas at the skate pod on Twitter, skatepod at wei.com, email. And anything or, else either. Or just comment on YouTube. Yeah. Any other ideas? Any other thoughts? What, what you want to see them do with LORI and any anything, anything at all.
2: Any questions that ever come across your mind. All right, Bridget and Scott, that's good. Wrap it up there. We're good. All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you very soon.